Amen. Please have a seat. In Mark 3, it says, And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted to be with him, that he might be with them, and that he would send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So he summons those he wanted so that he could be with them so that he could send them out. Don't miss the importance of that order. He wanted, first he's with them before he sends them out in power and authority. Right? We tend to want to go out in our own strength, in our own power, in our own wisdom, and he, without taking the time to be with him. And so I didn't want to spend time as we celebrated his first coming in his first advent. I didn't want to come right out of that into what we're going to be doing, Lord willing, for the next 15 weeks in the book of James, which is very much a book about doing, about going out and living out your faith in genuine ways. I didn't want to get from here to here without somehow connecting how do we do that? Because if we go out and try to do everything James tells us to do in our strength, it will not go well for us. So how do we do that? So what we're doing is we're spending three weeks in six areas of life that promote what Augustine called withness. It's this walking with Christ. Because in order to live a life in Christ or to do things for Christ, we have to spend time with Christ. So we've been looking at these, these um, spiritual disciplines, as it were, that promote withness. So the first week we looked at his provision and his power. And we talked about the importance of being in God's word every day. And if you've been here at Cornerstone, you know that, that you, that's not a new message here. But we also talked about the power of the spirit in our lives. And how the, how the spirit of God takes the word of God and transforms the people of God into the image of the son of God. And that spirit power, is the, the, the picture that I gave was him filling our sails. Our job, our part in walking in the power of the spirit and being led by the Spirit, is to lift our sails like a sailboat, and His breath will fill them. Because the word for breath and Spirit are the same word in the New Testament. So He's going to breathe His power into us by the power of His Spirit when we do our part to lift our sails. We talked about, I talked about how, like, why are there sailboat races? Right? If, if everybody, if all the boats are powered by the same wind, why do they race? Because some sailors are better at setting their sails, at reading the wind, and setting their sails to catch the power of the Spirit. That's really what these six disciplines over these three weeks are about. It's about getting better at setting your sails. So how are you doing at setting your sails? Then last week we looked at walking with him in the new decade in feasting and fasting. And we talked about how feasting is, what are we continually feeding on our relationship with him through the power of prayer? And we saw just a, a, just a really powerful time. It's part of why this morning feels a little disjointed to me, but in a really good way. Because our 30 minutes of prayer time turned into 45 minutes of prayer time, which is awesome. Because it wasn't us leading it, it was the Holy Spirit moving. So I invite you into that. But then also fasting. We talked about how to fast. And, and Daniel even mentioned it in this, in fasting between now and resurrection weekend. I'll, I'll bring it up again in the, during the message. But um, how do we let go of some, something in order to intentionally turn our attention to God? Right? And, 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 and we've already, here's the cool thing. We've already heard testimony from some of you of the power of fasting just in the first week. Just in the first day, just in the first few hours of leaving here, some of you 
We're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this aside so I can press into him more. So what are you feasting on that you ought to be fasting from? The other thing that we provided, and they're in your bulletin again this week, are these orange cards. And on there, there's, there's areas of life, spiritual, emotional, and physical. And what could you be doing less of? What could you be doing more of? This is just, these are just ways for us to get better at setting our sails so that the Spirit's power will fill them. Now, We've looked at, so we've looked at four of the six. We've looked at the Word and the power of the Spirit. We've looked at prayer and fasting. The two that we're going to look at today are probably the easiest to do and the hardest at the same time. Here's why. Because those first four are kind of, um, we can do those on our own. In other words, I can be in the Word or not. And although being in the Word shows evidence in my life, nobody's, like, nobody's going to go, hey, Doug, I noticed you missed being in the Word today. Right? It, the two today are done in the context of community. And so by definition, because they're about their spiritual disciplines that have to do with community, people are going to notice if you're not engaged in them. And we're going to look at them through one of my favorite pieces, uh, um, passages in Scripture, Exodus 33. Exodus is the second book in your Bible. So if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, it's your second book of the Bible. Exodus 33, it's almost the end of the book. And we're going to look at the scene. If you did your daily reading today, like you should have, because you've signed up for the In the Word Today devotional, or um, you have it on the back of your connecting points, you know what you see. So this should all be fairly familiar. So when I read through it quickly, you've already, you already know what I'm going to be saying, because you've already read it. That's part of why we do all that. But ultimately, why these these last two of the six um, disciplines that we're going to look at are so important is because, guys, this is what God saved us for. God is a, he, he saved us for relationship with him and with each other. He has a, he didn't come all this way the first time to just leave us alone. And he also didn't come all this way the first time and then send his spirit to live in us and walk with us so that we would do life alone. He has always been a relational God. So today we're looking at walking into the new decade in loving and living. In loving and living. And the question I'm going to ask today is, why should loving and living with God and his people fill your sails? If these six principles, word, power of the spirit, prayer, fasting, and these that we're looking at today, loving and like, if they're sail-filling things, how do these things fill your sails? Here's how. Because we are made to love the presence of God and his people. Because we were created to be in God's presence. And I'll get to that in a minute. But we were also created to be in the presence of his people. And we should love that. It's the, it's the invocation passage that Daniel read. Don't forsake assembling together as is the habit of some. Right? Because, because if, if you're truly spirit-filled and sealed, he has saved you into community. And that's part of, because he's a relational God. So let's pick it up in, ch- in verse 1 of chapter 33. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and your people, whom you have brought from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God is fulfilling a promise that he made to Abraham um, for the, say, 900 years ago, 900 years before this time. He says, To your descendants I will give it. 
I will send an angel. Now get the, get the power that's, that he's saying. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the, Pez- the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Guys, guys I mean, this is God speaking to Moses, saying, it's time, this, you guys have been waiting for this promise, now go. It's time to go enter the promised land. And oh, by the way, I'm going to send a powerful angel to go with you. Right? He's going to lay waste to these people because this is what I'm fulfilling the promise. But there's one problem here. Look at the next sentence. Second part of verse 3. For I will not go up with you in your midst. You could, you could translate that, but I will not go up with you. He's saying, you're going to go. I will fulfill the promises I've made to my people, but I won't be there. I'm not going with you. Because too often we look for the promise to be fulfilled and we neglect the presence of God. The question I have is, in my own heart, is I, am I seeking the gift or the giver? In other words, do I believe in the gospel because somehow it's going to give me good gifts, best life now? Or am I, am I seeking the gospel because it is the only way to have access to the one who gave his life for me? Look at what, the, look at what happens. Look, look at what the, the people, to their credit, look, this is, because if, if you've read the Old Testament, and I would encourage you to do so, these are, God's definition, God, how God is going to explain his people, and oh, by the way, we're them, like, we're, we, nothing's changed. His people are still how he describes them here, right? We're, we're spirit-filled, but we're still just as obstinate as, we were, as they were. But, like, like for, they actually at least get a little bit of what's going on here. Because he says, I'm not going to go with you because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you along the way. He's like, it's best for you if I just don't go. And then he says, when the people heard this sad word, what's the sad? Wait a minute. They're given everything. They're given the gifts. What's sad about that? Here's what's sad about that. He's not going with them. It's like they're saying, if you don't go with me, we don't want to go. In fact, we'll get there at the end. That's what Moses says. But guys, I don't know that my heart says that very often. As I'm praying for this or praying for that, is it really because, man, what I really want to see is I want to see that prayer answered. I want to see Mark Rosenbach healed, which is what we prayed for today. Because, because that will usher me into the presence of God. I might get goosebumps just thinking about it. Is that really what we seek? So he says, when the people heard the sad word, they went into the morning and none of them put on their ornaments. So they weren't in the, about the business of practicing their normal like routine and religion and everything else. It says, verse 5, for the Lord has said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment? I would destroy you. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Again, to their credit, guys, they are, they, they're, they're, they're physically going, I don't, I don't want to be reminded of the gifts. Right? I'm not even talking about the gift of getting to go into the promised land. These ornaments are all things that he allowed them to take out of Egypt with them. They're like, I, I want to forget that because I just want to press into the giver. But guys, we have always had the problem of wanting the gifts more than the giver. 
right? Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They are the imago Dei, the image bearers of God. And yet, in the midst of walking shoulder to shoulder with the Almighty, in this great, in, in, in his present, with the presence of God as you can possibly be, the enemy walks up and goes, God doesn't really want you to be happy. Because if he did this and this and this, he would give you all these other things too. And the minute they they take the fruit. The minute they bite into that and go, yeah, it's really about the gifts, not the giver, they for the first time are naked. It, you remember what it says? God comes to them in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, and he, says, and he says to them, where are you? And what does Adam say? He says, we heard the sound of you in the garden, and we were afraid. When I read that earlier, when I was a prepper for this, they had never felt fear. Never. Prior to that moment, they had never been afraid because there was nothing to be afraid of. They were in the presence of God. And now all of a sudden, because, they've, because they have rejected his presence, they have gone and done their thing. They got their eyes off of him and onto the world and they wanted what they thought looked good to them. They're afraid. And guess and then what? Remember what it says? We were afraid, so we hid ourselves. And guys, we have been hiding from him and from each other ever since. And some of you are sitting here going, what are you talking about? I'm sitting here. I'm not hiding from anybody. Yeah, but are you really sharing your soul? Right? Are, there, are, are there people in, you, in your midst here as part of the family of God that, that, that you're unashamed? You, you can go to them and go, you know what? Here's my soul. I'm going to lay it out before you. Because we believe in the covering of grace in that moment. Because we're not afraid of what God or they might think of us. Guys, I'll be honest, that, that's, that is an impossible task for me. And being up here in this role makes it even harder. And yet, I have to remind myself over and over, it is in my brokenness and sharing my brokenness that he is most beautiful to you and to me. Remember, we, we said this a lot during the Advent season. Remember, Jesus came for the messed up you. Right, guys, if, if you haven't written that down somewhere so you, remember, so you don't forget that as we move into 2020, write it down somewhere. Jesus came for the messed up you. So don't hide stuff from him. Don't hide from God. He knows it all already and he loves you. The cross proves it. And he'll fix you. The reason we're in dysfunctional relationships with each other and every relationship, guys, I'll let you in a little secret. Every relationship you're in is at some level dysfunctional. It just is. You know why? Because we're in a dysfunctional relationship with God. We are because we feel, because we're, we're scorekeepers. We feel, like we, we, we feel like we have to hide stuff. We, it, it's just this constant, like, exhausting wrestle of trying to put on a show. And, and it's only getting worse because of things like social media and et cetera. And it's it just, it is not good. And yet, just like he did to them, in the midst of all of that hiding, Jesus comes to us. He pursues us. That's the other thing to write down. Not only does, did Jesus come for the messed up you, but Jesus is a pursuing savior. He'll, you can keep running from him. He's going to chase you. Right? Now you might get to the end of the cliff and jump off. And he'll let you. But 
If you're running from him because you just don't like what he has to say to you, he isn't going to stop saying it. And that thing he is saying to you might be the person sitting next to you. Don't run. Don't run from those relationships. Don't run from the hard things. Lean into them. Look at, I don't know where I left this, verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp in a good distance from the camp. So he would go outside where these two million people were, and he'd pitch what was, what was going to become the tabernacle. It was the tent of meeting, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And, about when, and, 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 and it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent. Now, get, guys, get this. Here's the community piece of this. Because when I've read this, and I, like I said, chapter 33 of Exodus is one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. But I've always read it in just this context of Moses and God, Moses and God, Moses and God. And it is. It's a beautiful picture of, of, of a man that, that wanted nothing more than intimacy with the Almighty. However, there's a whole lot of people there. Like there's a whole lot of us, like y'all kind of talking here. Look at what he says. He says in verse 8, And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of the tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Guys, there, there is this beautiful intimacy, this, this withness between Moses and God, face, this idea of speaking to them face to face. It was just this, it's just another way of saying withness. He was with God. But did you see what was happening in the midst of that? As he's interacting with the Almighty, the people are just what, what Kylie shared, and I didn't know she was going to share that today. This pillar would come down. All the people would come out of their tent. Well, their, their tents weren't like, I mean, it, it'd, be like, it'd be like us all actually opening up our garage doors and coming out into our front yard, right? And seeing your neighbor and going, hey, man, we're, we're doing this together. Why don't, why, rather than you pray here and we pray, but why don't we come together and just pray right here together? Right? There was a, there was a, a, a community-creating event. The gospel is a community-creating community call. God's people are gathering together, and they're coming out to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to show each other, hey, we're in this fight together. That's why we need, we were created to love God, but also to love each other. Here's our problem. We tend to spend most of our time sitting in our own tent, now, 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 that could physically mean our own house, but I, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the, the tent of how we worship, the tent of what we believe. The tent, like, like if, if, and, and guys, there are, th there are hills to die on, in, in the on, and the gospel's one of them. That Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. His word's not mine. Absolutely, that's it. He is the one we pray through to God by the power of his spirit in us. Guys, there are, there are gospel things to do, but, but we don't want to slice that onion so fine that, oh man, wait a minute, if you don't believe in this part, like, you know, so wait a you, 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 you still believe in the spiritual gifts? Oh, well, I, we're going to put you guys over here in the corner. 
Let's just take it. Let's let's take it out of the spiritual aspect. Wait, wait a minute. You 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 don't you don't believe in Advil? I'm out of here. Like I, I don't I don't want to have. I mean, guys, I know that sounds funny. I'm just telling you, it happens. Like what we tend to do is we tend to because racially we're way too white as a church. I'll just say it. We are. And I don't just mean color. I mean in how we think and talk and look and act. We just are. It's people that don't like diversity are going to hate heaven. Because it is every tribe and tongue and nation. And they're all still going to be speaking their languages. We'll just know them all. Right? So, so get this. You have more in common with your Christian brother or sister in Ethiopia than you do with the white, if you're you're like me. I'll just put it this way. I have more in common with my Christian brother or sister in Ethiopia than I do with my unsaved white neighbor. But I don't, we don't live like that. We just don't. We surround ourselves with people that look like us because it's comfortable. That's not gospel community. That's not what God creates. That's what the world creates. So, so God brings all these people together. I promise you they didn't all think exactly the same way. They didn't all look exactly the same. They didn't even all, guys, they had issues. They, I guarantee you they didn't like each other sometimes. That's part of the deal. We were made to love the presence of God and the presence of God's people because those things are what conform us into the image of Christ. Right? It is, it is in, relating is hard. People hurt. It is so much easier to just be with people that you're comfortable being with. Absolutely. Here's the meaning, because you think the same way, you vote the same way. Well, I didn't want to go down that road. But like, like, like that, we, we, we tend to huddle up in those things. Why? Because it's comfortable. Here's the problem. We don't grow in comfort. Guys, you just don't. I coached for 15 years, 20-something different seasons of sports, probably, or more than that. Guys, the goal of a coach is to push your team past where they're comfortable because if all they ever do is what they're comfortable with, all they'll ever be is what they are. Well, God is this perfect coach. The Holy Spirit is the perfect coach, and his job is to push you past where you're comfortable. And if all you do is when your coach hurts you, like, like get on the line one more time, and you're like, Coach, I ain't got it in me. I, you're the, you, you, like, when, when did Satan show up? Like, seriously. Like, I, I had those moments, feel, like, both projected at me as a coach and when I was a player. But guys, if, all, if, if in that moment I quit and walk away, I'll be the same player I was before I walked away. It's in the, it's in the okay, here we go. I'm in this with a team. Let's do this together. That I grow. But the enemy has gotten so good at getting us to live isolated. Here's what, here's what he told Adam and Eve. You'll be happier apart from God. And they bought it, and we've been buying it ever since. And we're even, and, and even in isolation. Here's what, because you be you. You be, just you be you. Everybody, everybody just do your thing. Right? And as long as your thing doesn't interact with my, or doesn't interfere with my thing, then we're good. But the, here's the problem. Even in the UBU crowd, they're finding out that their thing has real issues with their thing, and so they're butting heads. And we're not talking about the gospel. We're just talking about politics and about gender and about, you, you, you list it. Guys, the enemy is behind all of that. Because there's no such thing as you be you in the Bible. 
You be as close to Christ-likeness as he has created you to and empowered you to be. That's what the Bible's about. That's what we need to be focusing on. But the enemy is isolating us more and more and more. It's things, thing, and, and, and I'm not anti-technology. I'm teaching from an iPad. However, it is the Trojan horse of today. We are dying a slow death of isolation because it goes against one of the strongest tools that God has for guys. It's community. Even when it looks, you know what, I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to watch my favorite preacher on YouTube. There's no community there. There's no opportunity. for You, you could get some good teaching, but there's no opportunity for you to actually be conformed to the image of Christ through a brother or sister who's annoying the snot out of you. So today... The question was, why should we love, why should loving and living, God, God and his people fill our sails? The answer is, we were made to love the presence of God and his people, and we're also made to live in the presence of God and his people. Look at verse 12. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. He's like, of all these people, I don't know which ones you want to destroy and which ones you don't. And, I, you know, he's like, and then he says, moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So he's like, you, he's like you've given me glimpses of the power of community and the, and the power of my relationship with you, God, but I could use a little clarification on both counts is what Moses is saying. I, could, I, would, I would like a little more, like, which of these people are you really going to bring into the promised land? And oh, by the way, like, I really want to get to know you more. Which is, the, this is the beauty of it, guys. The reason Moses is about to say what he's about to say is because Moses gets it. He's as, he's as close to God as any human being on the planet. Maybe as any human being who's ever lived. Because nobody else is described in Scripture like this until the, until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And, and yet it's not enough for him. He's like, I, not, I want more stuff. He's like, I want more of you, God. I, I, I'm not satisfied with just this relationship. I want more. Look what he says. He says, therefore I pray that if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I might know you so that I might, be, so that I might find favor in your sight. Guys, do you understand? The most, the, most, the most bitter, the most frustrated people in the world are the people who think the world revolves around them. That's why two-year-olds are the terrible two-year-olds. Because they are the center of their universe. The problem is most of us don't, there's a part, most of us have a terrible two-year-old still in us. Some bigger parts of us than others. Yeah, I don't have a child. Oh, really? So let me ask you a question. When somebody cuts you off on the freeway or doesn't let you in when traffic's bad or whatever, do you get angry? Do you find that like, how dare they? Why? Who are you? Who am I? Why does that moment make me angry? Because I'm the center of the universe and they should know it. Right? How, how could they not know that this is about me? I, my schedule is far more important than theirs is. Theirs is. Why don't, why, guys, it is, it is a product of selfishness that we all face. And that's true in traffic and it's true in our marriages and it's true in our parenting and it's hard. Guys, but it is what we've been discipled into by our society. Whatever makes you happy, 
whatever you, like, it, it just is. And, and, it's, let's, and guys, the problem in the world today is everybody's running around trying to figure out how to fill their relational void, this one and this one, with everything other than what God has called them to fill it with. And they can't. So it never ends. They're just, they're literally churning it up and spitting it out. I mean, like burning themselves up through it. Whether it's addictions or relationship, just, just complete destruction of relationships that they've gone through. It's because they're constantly trying to find, fill that void with something other than the presence of God. And it's true in the church as well. It's not just people out there. It's true in here. It's true in here, frankly. Every time I'm struggling with something and I go, you know what? What will help me not feel so frustrated, what will help me feel not, not feel so lonely, what will help me feel is, and I reach for anything other than the presence of God, in that moment, that thing is now my idol. And I, and I struggle with that often. Guys, look at verse 33, verse, look at chapter, or verse, where am I? 33, verse 13, the second half of verse 13. He said that we're back to this people thing. Consider to this nation your people. Because some people will sit here and they'll say, everything you're talking about, Doug, is great about community and everything else. This, but th this is for the, the nation of Israel. Yeah, I say that's a dangerous line. Here's how I know. Because Peter, who was in the New Testament, and oh, by the way, was one of the apostles, says, so, so first, na the word nation and people are plural. So he's saying that you're, you're a collection of people. Guess what? When Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he says, and you, he's talking to the church now. He's not talking to Jewish people. He's talking to saved believers. He says, you are a what? A holy nation. A royal priesthood. God's chosen people for his own possession. All of those words are plural. And they're all describing us. He is about community. Guys, we have too personalized our, especially in the West, we have made Christianity so personal. It's just about me and Jesus, man. Because there, no, there is no place in Scripture. There is no place in Scripture for that. There's no place you can turn in Scripture and go, my walk with Christ is just about me and Jesus. Your salvation is. Right? You're not saved. You're sitting here and you're a young person. Your parents might be the most holy people in the room. That does nothing for you. Praise God. They're a good model. But it doesn't seal your heart in, in salvation. What will is your personal, your, your crying out to God going, I personally am a sinner and I need your blood to cover my sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Absolutely. But ultimately... That is, that's just the beginning. And we've made that the end game of Christianity. That's just the start. Right? That, that ultimately, the gospel is, a, he calls us, he saves us from judgment and into the family of God. We are, we are by design meant to be connected. The Bible knows nothing of a disconnected Christian. It just isn't this idea that I can just hang out at home and watch YouTube or listen to my favorite podcast preacher. Or you know what, maybe I'm going to have two or three of my friends that I choose because I like them because they look like me or think like me or vote like me or whatever, medicate like me or whatever your thing is. I'm going to just huddle up with them and we're going to call it church. Is not biblical. It just isn't and it needs to stop. And if you know people like that, you, need to tell, you just need to tell them in love, that is not the church. 
That is not the gospel. That's like half the gospel. Now, I'm, here's the other half of the gospel. You're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, I guess I'm here and you know what, I, I need to love my wife because God told me to. And, you know, and I, you know, this person's really bothering me and I quit, I leave this church and I go somewhere else, but yeah, Pastor Doug convicted me again that I'm not supposed to do that, so I guess I'll just hang out and it stinks. That's like half the gospel. I mean, you're, at least you're not leaving. Like, and I don't mean like you're not divorcing your, you know, out of a disagreement, you're not divorcing your spouse or what. Because the gospel is this person frustrates me, but I'm going to hang in there with them because God hangs in there with me. This person has wronged me, but I'm going to forgive them because God continually forgives me. That's the gospel. That's what will motivate you to stick it out. When you realize, man, you're not doing anything God doesn't do for you moment by moment by moment. I'm a little behind. So in the interest of time, I'm going to ask... Uh, guys, the, the best promise he has... So if you, if you, let's just keep going. He says, look at verse 14. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest... Then he said, if your presence, this is Moses speaking, then if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known? Now get this. So he's saying, so, so where we started, I'm going to send you, but my presence isn't going to go. God has now said, no, my presence is now going to go with you. Now look at what he says. For how can it be known, this is Moses saying, how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, he's bringing the people along with him, is it not by your going with us that we... I and your people may be, may be distinguished by all the other people upon the face of the earth. Do you get what, what he's saying there? He's saying it is the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in our collective life being brought together that is the witness of your presence on the planet. He's saying, how will anybody know that you really exist except your presence with us is what distinguishes us? We are distinctly different. So what does that look like in the church? I'm glad you asked. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, 2, don't turn there, it'll come up on the screen. Paul says this, We prove to be gentle among you, as nursing mothers who tenderly care for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you, to share with you, to give all we have to you, not only the gospel, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. That word there could be lives, could be translated souls. Because you have become very dear to us. Here's what Paul's saying in there. He's saying to the church, uh, the ch he's saying, when we were with you, we, I, I laid my heart open. And you did the same thing. And that, that, the church of Thessalonica was like his favorite group of people because they just laid themselves bare but with the, because they felt, they felt like it was a safe place to do that. So how do we do that? First, we have to be willing to get real. Real quick, I'm just going to go through these quickly. We have to be willing to get real. Paul is saying, sharing your soul. I, we didn't just share our, the gospel. We shared our souls. Sharing your soul is, is being willing to just open up because you know that you're in a place of grace. So here's the question. Rather than asking each other after the service or before the service or even when you leave here and you're out, rather than saying, how are you doing? Because the answer to that is always, now if you look at somebody, if you look at a brother after the service, you go, hey, how are you doing today? You're going to get one of two answers, good or busy. 
Ask him, how is your soul? How is your soul? There was a card in your bullet, a piece of paper in your bulletin. It had the gospel on one side of it, a little acronym for the gospel on one side, and then it has some questions that you can ask on the other. These are on there, so you don't have to write them all down. Second, so first we need to get real. Second, we have to stop demanding our own way on secondary issues. Right, to really live, to not just love God and his people, but really live with God and his people, we have to stop demanding our own way. Guys, Paul says in that, to the church of Thessalonica, we prove to be gentle among you. The gospel should create a heart of gentleness. Guys, I'll be, I mean, I'll be honest, that is my biggest area of growth need as a pastor. And I so appreciate you not all going, amen. But it's true, because I don't see myself as a, I'm not a gentle parent. I'm not a gentle pastor sometimes. But just like in marriage and parenting, here's what's hard about, about not just this ministry between you and me, but with each other. We are called to love one another and speak the truth in love. We're called to bear one another's burdens. And we're also called to exhort and admonish. There's a lot of tension there. How do you look at somebody and go, man, I love you for who you are, and I love you enough to not let you stay that way? Without sounding like you're pounding them. That's hard. But, we, but, but it's worth the fight, just like it is in marriage and in parenting. We'll finish it up with the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to you, uh, gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place. The NASB says, by me. That word actually translated should be, there is a place with me. Withness, we're talking about withness here. And you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about that while my glory is passing by you, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see. Guys, as the music team comes up, my challenge when I read this last part was, how often do I pray, Lord, show me your way. Show me your will. Without, when, what I really ought to be praying is, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That's what Moses prayed. Show me your glory. Man, if he, sh if he does that, all the rest of it just happens. Right? If you're in the presence of God and his glory, his will will be made manifest to you. It can't not be, because that's where he is. And, we, and, and one of the places that we see his glory best, guys, there... I get this isn't a very comfortable room. I get that. The, I, I get all the. I get that we're not all getting along great, half the time. There is no place on earth closer to heaven than God's people gathered with His presence here now. This is as close to heaven as you're going to get today. God's people gathered in the presence 
of his spirit. So as we, our charges as we leave here is to practice that presence out there. Because the world is dying and going to hell and they need to see and experience the presence of God. So we need to be doing things like practicing radical hospitality. Opening up your home. Giving up, your, giving up yourself. We need to be, we need to be willing to, to let go of my schedule to step into a conversation with somebody at a coffee shop. Because in that moment, we're saying, Lord, show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that, that your glory is revealed in your presence among your people. I thank you for the, for the one another's that, that help us to love and to live well. Lord, I want to pray that it would be infectious. I want to pray that, that even as the, as the pillar of fire was on the tent of meeting, that your pillar of fire would be on our hearts. Not just as we gather here, but even as we leave here. Lord, I pray what I prayed at the beginning, that, that we would not leave here, not only not the same, but that we would leave here showing evidences of your grace. That we are exposed to the grace of God so that we will extend the grace of God. Lord, it is a privilege to be in your presence. It is a privilege to be called your people. May I not diminish that by not sharing that. Lord, show us your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.